Well, hello there. My name is Brooks, and I'm here with my lovely wife, Laura. Hello. Hey, darling. And you are listening to episode two of what we have decided to call Grit and Gladness. Um, grit and Gladness. Those two uh, words um, really encompass for us two essential virtues of of the Christian, of the Christian life, um, especially in our times where, man, there is just a lot of wacky things happening. Um, we want to be gritty Christians and glad Christians. Um, our Lord told us that in this world you will have tribulation, and tribulation takes grit to, to engage, Holy Spirit-empowered grit. But we also want to be glad-hearted. We don't want to be cynical Christians. We want to have a happy warrior streak in everything we do and to be glad. Um, we think of the Apostle Paul in Philippians, a book that he wrote while sitting in a horrible Roman jail. And the soaring theme of Philippians is rejoicing. Rejoice. And again, I will say rejoice. So that's something we aspire to be, gritty and glad, and we are thankful that you're listening in. And this maiden voyage out into our podcast um, was kind of the catalyst for it, was to have a conversation between me and Laura as we guide our book studies, um, me with some men, her with some women, through the books that we're going through. But man, um, this last week um, took a bit of a detour and we actually didn't get to meet um, with our groups, but we did get to engage the gritty part of our faith and and the, actually the glad part as well. So, uh, Laura, what 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 in the world happened last week? Yeah, so Wednesday uh, was a very ordinary day and um, kind of special because the kids are back in school. So I got to have a day with just our two year old and um, take care of our home. And I picked up uh, the 10 and 12 year old girls at three from the school with plans to go back at 4.30 and get our 16 year old son um, from cross country practice. And around four o'clock we had finished homework and we were preparing to host an event for the church at our home that night. And um, I got a phone call that Taylor had collapsed at practice and that I needed to get there as soon as possible. So I very quickly assigned roles to um, the older girls um, to take care of the two-year-old and drove to the school. And while I was driving, it became apparent that I would need your help, Brooks. Yeah, yeah. And you jumped in and Yeah, and so I get on. a second call from you after the first one saying that something happened and saying we don't, an ambulance is coming and we don't know what to expect. So just meet me here. So yeah, I jumped in and came over and... Yeah, I'm no stranger to uh, emergencies, and so I knew that that can sometimes cause you to be a little weak in the knees, and getting behind the wheel isn't usually a good plan. So called in for Brooks to come join me there, and when I arrived, um, everyone there was very distraught, and Taylor was awake, but not very oriented, and um, the medical team that was working on him made it very clear that he needed to go immediately to the hospital. So we kind of stayed out of the way and um, just journeyed alongside as they headed down to the hospital. Something that was communicated to me at the time, but I didn't understand the full weight of it, was that he had been shocked by an AED. Um, that didn't mean much to me. I thought it was like a police officer grabbing a taser, kind of the police officer decides when to issue the shock um so i just thought well maybe when he didn't immediately snap out of it someone decided to do that 
What I found out later was that an AED machine is designed in a way that it reads the heart rhythm. And after doing so, it will then direct the um, person, the operator, on whether or not the shock will be issued. And why essentially it'll only go if, it, if it's needed. You can't force it to happen. It, it needs to be needed. Right. And I did not know that. Right. I didn't right. know anything about anything. Um, so as we learned uh, more about what had happened, um, it became clear that the machine had issued a shock and we were still unsure why it had done so, but that was very telling for the cardiologists at Vanderbilt that were working on him. Um, the other thing that is just miraculous about these machines is that it records the um, heart rhythm data that it is receiving when it's determining whether or not to issue the shock. And so what we found out on Thursday uh, mid-morning was that he was in what's called ventricular fibrillation. I think I'm saying that right. And that was kind of the worst of all the options. Um, So words like incompatible with life, um, very small window of time, 11% survival, those kinds of things became our reality. Um, Later, our pediatrician even filled in with the technical term of what happened, which was aborted sudden cardiac death. Um, And so... Which means he, he was in, it's assumed he was in the midst of the ladder and by God's grace, he was taken out of that because it's so fatal. I mean, it's just assumed that when that happens outside of a hospital, you, you don't make it through that typically. Right. Um, so I think the real temptation for me on Thursday was, (laughs) um, rather than grit and gladness would have been gripped with fear and grumbling and, um, all the got to's, you know, we've got to do this. We've got to look at surgery. We've got to do that. Um, but I think once it finally landed on me, the miracle that had occurred on Wednesday at 4 PM, all those got to's shifted to get to's. We get to plan for, um, the next step of Taylor's heart care and we get to enjoy these days with him. And, um, so I'm very thankful for that information that was recorded on that machine because it helped me then really celebrate what God had had done in the gift of those careful hands, the carefully trained hands at the school and um, the machines that we have now. And um, just to try to wrap my heart and my mind around what had happened a little bit. Yeah, like anytime if you've experienced something very traumatic like that, you it's all initially just a fog and a blur. Um, but I think for us, as we, after the first 24 hours, we're able to ascend outside of the fog. I think what, what was waiting for us was just awe and wonder at what had happened because the, the truth is, and, and for those guys who received my email in my men's group, um, there really was, a, a bullseye of land that Taylor had to collapse on in Goodlettsville if he was to rise again. I mean, it is remarkable. He, he was right next to the school. Often they'll run on trails. Taylor always runs at home alone. And if it were not the exact location where he fell, um, it would have been probably almost definitely a very different story. Um, and so we are just still reeling um but stunned at god's providential care 
over us. Um, one other part of the story is um, the school had just done a refresher AED CPR training the week before this happened. And so they couldn't have been more prepared as soon as Taylor collapsed. Man, it, they just went into action and four gals in particular that have been dubbed Taylor's angels um, just were deployed and it was, I mean, it's just a miracle, an absolute miracle. Um, so that's kind of where we're at this morning. Is there anything else, uh, babe, that you'd like to share about that or? Yeah, I think just bringing the word of God to bear on all my ponderings. Um, I think one verse that's been, there's been many verses that have carried me through the last four years, but one that we've really clung to, um, as a family has been Psalm 27 13 that says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And um, applying this to what happened last Wednesday, there's no way um, that I could have manufactured all of the circumstances that surrounded that event to prevent cardiac death, to prevent brain death, to prevent um, any of the things to make sure that or ensure that the timing was right and the hands were prepared that it that would have been overwhelming for any human to try to orchestrate but what why this verse means a lot to me in this situation is we just have to stand back and say all we did was walk through our day in a very ordinary way and God was planning and purposing for our good and His glory, and um, we have behold, behold, we're beholding the goodness of the Lord in the land of the yeah, living. Yeah, Thank, right. and we're thankful. That's right, and and we we had to laugh too because last week school started, and um, uh, for Taylor especially, um, a, a lot of things started. He started a job at Chick Fil A last week, started school, started cross country, and and it, it would it was a pretty daunting load ahead of him and. And we were even saying, hey, buddy, I mean, if this is too much, just let us know and we'll do whatever it takes to lighten your load. And, and one of the things he said is, no, I mean, I, I feel I feel up for it. I, I, I have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> that was his specific word to me. No, I have a plan. Um, and it's good to have a plan. Yeah. But as James says, what you should say is if the Lord wills, um, you'll do this and that because you have no idea what a year or a day will bring. And so, man, if we didn't see that, um, we make a plan, but the Lord establishes the steps. And so we, we had a good laugh about um, our plans that we have so clearly hewn out um, and how the Lord often has a different plan. Yeah. And if Brooks, if you would indulge me for one more second, yeah. I do want to just tie in something that the Lord has shown to me. Um, in relation to relating this to the gospel, after the pediatrician spoke the words aborted sudden cardiac death to me, um, of course I googled that, which you should never do, um, but it just landed on me afresh that <clears throat> but for the outside actions of another, Taylor's diagnosis upon pronouncement of death would have been sudden cardiac death but it was aborted because another acted on his behalf. And it immediately made my mind and heart go to um, a passage that our pastor Rose had shared um, in church two weeks ago 
um, which is that glorious passage in Ephesians 2. And um, Paul is just saying, um, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, which you formerly walked. And he goes through how that had displayed itself, the evidences of our disobedience towards God. And then in verse 4, he says, but God. And this is where God aborts that mission, that mm. walk to hell that we would have been on. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our, trans, our, our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And it just um, fell on me afresh that Christ aborted our, our hell-bound mission. Um, right. And just how thankful right. I am. Right. Like that, that wasn't just an option that that was the set trajectory. Right. It, it is guaranteed. This is what happens to fallen sinners. It, not unlike when you have V fib, this is what happens. Um, we so much. So we, we call it by the name of death. And so it is with us. Um, and, and, and Christ came and did what we could not do. Um, he didn't give us a pep talk. He, he resuscitated our dead hearts. So, wow. Amazing. Well, <clears throat> one other scripture that I, I just want to tag on to this story um, that just has ministered to me as well um, through this is from Psalm 103. Um, and, and often when, when I'm praying for people, I will um, kind of set the, set the temperature of that, of that space by reciting the beginning of Psalm 103. But in light of, of what we went through, it's just been given much deeper dimension um, to me and has ministered to me. David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And so I, we, we bless the Lord with, a, with our whole soul um, for all that he has done and, and of course, redeeming our, our boy's life from the pit and, and renewing the strength of, of his youth. Um, and so we're just here again to say um, God is good. He can be trusted all the time. Um, and we wanted just to give you a little glimpse into that. Um, you maybe have heard about some of this on Facebook. Um, I, I don't love Facebook. It's helpful as far as it goes, but it's very impersonal. And so hopefully our words add a little um, dimension here. Um, yeah. Anything else from there, babe? No. I, um, I'm eager, though, to be uh, with my ladies group this week we're gonna dive back into the excellent wife and still cover chapter two and read through chapter three um i far from this making me want to shrink back in fear it just propels me deeper into i want to get our um i want to set the trajectory for women of the church to be on mission with god um in their homes and so that when life happens, um, they're ready. Um, just like you told us, we will suffer many things in this life. And 
we need to be constantly renewing our minds on the truth of God is good. He can be trusted. And so I'm ready to flinch forward with them through chapter two. Um, And then in chapter three, we're going to get to um, just enjoy reading through um, the author's thoughts on the gospel as it relates to being a godly wife. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I I think one other thing for me that, that this really has confirmed is how important it is for me personally to have my, my faith in, in God and, and not in the result that I wanted. Um, obviously here it, it was a miracle and we praise God for that. Um, but it certainly is, is rocking. I mean, there, there are 10,000 whys that we could ask. Um, but our, our, we are endeavoring for our faith to not be, okay, Lord, if, if you make this outcome happen, then you can be true. But no, in, in all these things, you are the one who can be trusted um, because of, of who you are, not just what you do. Um, of course, we we worship him and we bless him for what he does. I mean, even when Psalm 103, the, the writer does that. He does these things. Um, but our starting point is, is because you are God and you can only do what is right. Surely the creator of all will do what is right in all circumstances. So, yeah, well, for me, and this, this will feel like a bit of a hard pivot, um, but I, I did want to highlight one or two things from our chapter because in, in our group, we're going to continue on to chapter three um, and just let chapter two be, or I guess we'll be in chapter four, let chapter three be what, what it was and is edifying as far as it goes in our personal reading. But there were a few things that are huge for me. So again, we're, we're going through the book Father Hunger, where, where he is putting before us um, a biblical vision of the glory of being fathers. Um, and one of the points he makes in this chapter, which was so helpful for me, um, was shining clarifying light on the final verses of the Old Testament. Um, the Old Testament ends this way. It says, behold, this is Malachi chapter th- four verses, um, five and six, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, which we know was John the Baptist, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now, for for most of my life, I just kind of passed over that. I had no idea what that would mean. Why is this turning of fathers' hearts to their children and the turning of children's hearts to their fathers such a big part of what the Messiah will institute? And, and if that's the final word of the Old Testament that's just echoing for 400 years, it seems to me I would do well to understand what, what that means. But if, if I'm honest, for most of my life, I haven't understood that. But I believe one of the interpretive keys to understanding what he's talking about there is taking seriously the promise after promise that God gives in the Old Testament of generational faithfulness that he will be glad to pour out on those who remember to keep his covenant, to do his commandments. Um, so I think often we, we read these promises in the Old Testament and think, um, okay, well, they, they took genealogy seriously back then. They, they took legacy seriously back then. But, but times have changed when, especially in light of that Malachi text, 
we see no first not only was what the messiah going to bring an increased generational faithfulness between fathers and children and the passing along of the faith but when we go back to the old testament part of israel's issue and the reason they needed so many prophets was there was not great generational faithfulness they they kept falling um, away um, so all that to say and in this chapter um, he gives us a wonderful vision of the promises of god to fathers in light of living on this side of the coming of the messiah that we should expect that he would use us to bless our family generationally that god wants us to think in terms as fathers of legacy and we do this by faith but when we do god has said he will bless that um the messiah will turn the hearts of children back to their fathers and fathers to their children's hearts this is one of the defining features of the new covenant that christ institutes or maybe even better said the fulfillment of the covenant that god started back with abraham so i I just want to read a couple more verses to put some biblical um, language under this promise of god to fathers who continue on faithfully um, in passing down and passing down the faith this is also from psalm 103 which i i read from a bit earlier but this is starting in verse 9 uh, 13. he says this as a father shows compassion to his children so the lord shows compassion to those who fear him for he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust as for man his days are like grass he flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more but the steadfast love of the lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So here we see that um, man's life is, is a blip on the radar. It goes very quick and that is humbling and it could be discouraging. But the way that the psalmist means to encourage us is to say, yes, but the, the steadfast love of the Lord will go on forever and he will pour it out on your children's children. And so this is from the chapter before, but he talked about how we often think that we live in a pond but rather our life is more part of a river. And what we do on our part of the river will then flow downstream. Yes, our life will, is a mist that will vanish quickly, but our legacy of faith will continue with the blessing of God over us as we point our families to Christ day by day by day. So often I, I would have read that and thought, man, they, they, they really took that stuff seriously back then. But what is true is Israel often was not faithless. And as Malachi said, when the Messiah comes, part of what he will do is institute greater generational blessing on those who follow the Lord, who um, point their family to Christ, who live under the sovereign reign of King Jesus. 
and one other one other Old Testament text that speaks into this is from Jeremiah 31, and this is verses 35 through 36. He says, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. And so God is using this cosmic metaphor. He's saying, look at the sun, look at the moons, look how all of that functions. As much as you can depend on that to happen from day to day, you can depend on God being faithful to Israel um, generationally for those who are faithful to the Lord. Of course, all of that is by grace. Even, even our faith is a gift of grace, but we can call upon it and ask for it. Um, so God means for us to take very seriously his intention to bless fathers generationally who walk by faith, who point their families to Christ, who pass on the legacy, who pass down the baton of faith from generation to generation. And man, I just got to say that this has really changed the way that I have parented or even prayed for my children. If I'm honest, Laura, and I've said this to you before, I used to think it was almost irresponsible to have children if it's a coin toss as to where they're going to spend eternity. I mean, even Jesus said the way is wide that leads to destruction, but the way is narrow that leads to life. And so I used to really wrestle with, okay, well, then why in the world would I have children if even if it's 50-50 that they'll make it, I don't like those odds, eternal damnation or eternal blessing. Um, and I, I really used to see parenting as, okay, my fingers are crossed and I, and I hope that they, that they make it into the kingdom. But when you have this lens on, the lens that the Lord gives us in his word about his intention to bless us generationally, it just changes everything. Um, God promises in this again this is his word I, i've gotten pushback on me speaking in in, in in that language um but i'm only saying what the lord has said he intends as the standard way of operation for those who continue on in the faith to pass that on to your to your progeny um so like for instance one practical way this has changed um how i pray is at um, each night I, I, I pray the ironic blessing over, over Providence, our, our youngest daughter, um, because we still have that kind of that daddy daughter space in a special way. And it says, um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And now I, 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 I pray that, but I'm praying it with much more faith. It is more so, I believe the Lord will bless you and keep you. I believe he really will make his face to shine upon you because he has promised to do so for those who remember his covenant. And obviously for us, that was fulfilled in Christ. So so for those who daily look to Christ, um, who daily remind their family that our righteousness is found solely in the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is the banner over our house is saved by Christ. That, That is the parable of um, the blood on our doorpost is our house is under the blood of Christ for for those who 
live like that, the Lord intends to bless. Um, and any thoughts on that, Laura? I would just say yes and amen, and may it be so, Lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, and, and one other thing I wanted to highlight from this chapter is he makes it, um, he distinguishes between two types of authority that um, is essential for effective fa- uh, fatherhood. One is fathers have the authority of, of office. So because, just because they are fathers, God has endowed them with authority as the head of the home. That's not something they, they need to earn. That's not some paperwork they need to fill out to get that approved. By the mere fact that fathers are fathers, God has given that office. He's endowed it with blessing and with a certain amount of authority, which is wonderful. But in order to take hold of that, he talks about how there is a certain what he calls charismatic authority in order to make that effective. It's a confidence that God has called us to this and given us that authority. But so often as fathers, um, we can be sheepish to, to step into that role, to lead our family, to, for instance, have a devotional, even though you know it might be awkward and it's not going to be perfect, but to know I'm the head of the home and I'm just going to enter into that space and trust that the Lord will bless that. He spoke about how, how um, Christ, when he spoke, what was peculiar to the crowds is that he spoke with a real authority that was different from the Pharisees and the scribes. And, and one of the encouragements that, that he has, which, which the Bible is from the Bible, is that fathers with a humble strength speak with the authority of a father, knowing that you have the blessing and the calling from God to, to do that. Lead your family, even when it's awkward, even when it's hard, and the Lord will bless that. Take hold of that. Um, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, and how the, the Lord has designed it, that the fathers will set the tone and set the trajectory. We, we have that authority. We just need to take hold of it um, and, and leverage it for the good of our home and for the blessing of our grandchildren. Yeah, and the particular ways that that authority and even that charismatic authority will be carried out will look different in every home. And um, what's interesting about that being where your reading took you is when we meet together on Thursday night, the encouragement that they will get from the author of this book will be to come under the authority that God has given to her husband. Yeah. And so it's interesting how that's going to parallel very nicely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and something that's that was a real encouragement for me as I, again, we'll get to our fuller story at some point, but I, I parachuted into the trenches, into the deep end of family life. Um, I went from being a, a bachelor in Southern California to part of a family of six of us in Goodlettsville in one year's time. And so I felt so overwhelmed with the call to be the leader and, 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 and all that that entails and what does faithfulness look like for me as I try to lead this family. Um, and something that I believe actually it was Wilson somewhere else said that really encouraged me is masculinity isn't feeling confident every time you step into what you're supposed to do. So often it is being fearful, (laughs) but flinching forward anyways and taking initiative and taking responsibility. 
So I don't, for those men who are hearing this um, and who are learning what it means to, to take initiative and, and, and to be the leader in your home, I don't want you to feel this burden of, I have just got to man up and straighten my back and just have this strength and confidence that is unshakable. That, that's not it at all. As, as the great theologian John Wayne once said, courage is being scared as heck, but saddling up anyways. Um, and that has been so much of my learning here. Um, I, I think, and this is a, you know, I've already used this example, but one silly one is trying to have a consistent time of family devotional. And we have a 16 year old and we have a 10 year old and a 12 year old and the dynamics are challenging. And, and a two year old. And, oh, of course, <laughs> that's right. And, and a two year old. Um, and it's often disrupted and it's, it's, it's often not ideal, but what I've had to purpose in my heart is I'm just going to keep showing up and be faithful and know that the Lord sees that and blesses that as I um, endeavor to be faithful. And so, so much of this comes from a deep awareness of our, of our weakness. Even there, I think of 2 Corinthians 12, where the Apostle Paul was overcome with a sense of his inadequacy and his weakness. And he said, three times I prayed that the thorn that made me feel like that would be removed. I don't like feeling weak. I've got a lot of work to do. I need to be strong. Please, Lord, may take away this weakness. And, and, and how did our Lord respond? Um, he said, no, um, I'm, I'm going to let the thorn there um, because my strength is proved perfect in your weakness. It's one that you, you know that you are weak. You know, left to your own reserves, you couldn't do this. It's in that place that you really see the strength of Christ manifest in you. Um, and so, so it is for us as fathers. So often we are aware of our weakness, but even that's part of the design. Christ means to strengthen us. He means to show us that the Holy Spirit isn't just a theological notion. It is a real vital part of our daily lives um, that empowers us to do what he has called us to do. Um, yeah, and uh, going back to the family devotions thing, um, it's not a, a grit as in grit your teeth, but more like the teeth on sandpaper that's redeeming a piece of wood. <laughs> yeah. And our countenance is displaying glad-hearted joy that we get to obey God in this way. And and so, you know, that that's always the temptation is, is it going to be a grit your teeth and get through it? Or is it going to be a, we know that we're being purposeful here and that we're redeeming our corner of the kingdom. And um, so that's, yeah. even when we're using that language, that's what we have in mind is we are, um, we're, we're working with God. We're cutting with the grain of what God is doing and we are uh, being purposeful as we do do hard things yeah yeah and, and knowing that that he is he is taking us to a, a a good place he he is taking us to a broad land um but on the way there there's always there's always giants in the promised land um but our hearts need not melt because not only is the lord with us through it all i won't i won't leave you as orphans i will send you the spirit as jesus said but he has ordained all things as well. He is sovereign over every inch, even the hard things. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. So yes and amen.
Well, I'd love to end our time um, by by commending it to the Lord. (sighs) Lord, um, you know our hearts and and you know that we are still very much reeling from the, um, the events of this last week. But I find so much comfort and, and it's been only reinforced more and more that as your word says, underneath it all are everlasting arms. And so we thank you, Lord, um, for the clear evidence of your providential care over us. Um, and thank you even more than that. Um, as my wife so beautifully um, said in parabolic form, thank you for what Christ has done. Um, so that we we don't even have to fear death now, because inevitably that's going to come for all of us. But what is true, and what I'm reminded of even now more, is to be a Christian is is to never die. Um, and Christ did that. He resuscitated our not just our bodies but our souls, um, so that when we are in Him, we have we have life eternal. He came to bring eternal life. And so I know me and Laura feel the preciousness of that even more now. And, and even for that, we, we bless your name. We know that times like these have a very sobering effect and only what really matters comes to the surface. And so we, we thank you for that. Um, we pray um, complete healing over our boy. And we pray encouragement for those who uh, are listening in as they soldier on um, in the noble task of being godly men and godly women as, as you, the creator, define those terms. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you again for tuning in. Man, it is such a joy to have you by our side as we together um, endeavor to be happy warriors um, on the journey to the high country. Um, two quick things here at the end. One, um, we would be remiss. Um, there's so many people to thank for this last week, but but in particular, we want to thank Project Adam. Um, that is the the nonprofit organization whose um, whole mission is to to get AEDs into the hands of as many um, people as possible. And they are the specific team that came and trained um, the teachers at Jeka and and are the reason um uh, our boys here with us and so we we love you project adam go to their um website and um and donate as well i mean they do wonderful work and also uh, our friends the lockwoods have been gracious enough to let us use some of their some of their music as um the theme music for this little podcast and so i will leave you with a snippet Um, from their rendition of God Moves in a Mysterious Way and go find the rest at Spotify. That's The Lockwoods. Thanks.